Welcome to Exploring Digital with Per, a podcast for entrepreneurs and CEOs who want their businesses to benefit from a digital-first approach. Hi, it's Nick, and welcome to Explore Digital with Per. I recently caught up with Tom Jepson from Footprint, who are an SEO and PPC agency, and we spoke about all the ways in which marketing and development teams should work hand in hand. We've broken the content into two parts. Hope you enjoy part one. Hi, and welcome to the first in a series of videos and podcasts we're going to be releasing over 2020. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Nick from Per Digital, and we are an onshore digital technology consultancy. We do all sorts of digital product development and consulting, plus incubate some of our own products. I'm here today with Tom Jepson from Footprint, a long-standing partner of ours. Tom, would you like to explain a little of what you do? Yeah, so we're from Footprint and we basically do search marketing and help clients make more money online, primarily around getting people visibility in search engines and helping them understand their customers and what they can do to increase conversions. Brilliant. So uh, Footprint and Per have worked on a number of projects over the years, generally in the kind of traditional web build space. Uh, and as two specialist agencies, us in development and, uh, and footprint in, uh, in marketing, we were keen to explore some of the ways in which specialist agencies might be a better route for you rather than a full service agency and how that can have an impact on your, your planning and budgeting for a project upfront and ongoing as well. Yeah, definitely. For us, it's about we're really good and passionate about what we love doing and what we're good at. And what we like to do is Obviously, we would work with other specialists, people that care about the other bits that we're not very good at, and come together to provide the best possible solution for, for clients, really. so Absolutely. And, and you came from a, a wider full-service agency background as well. Yeah, my background's um, a technical one, so I used to be involved in web builds and design, and historically I worked for a site that, you know, for an organisation rather, that built websites and then also marketed them. Mm-hmm. Um, but my kind of interest went very into, I uh, like building sites, but actually how does Google work and how is this magic algorithm and you know, how do we kind of gain and, and, and gain visibility? Uh, yeah, so that course. kind of became a passion. Um, and since then we've moved on and we're at Footprint and that's where we kind of specialize and say, look, this is where we want to be and what we want to focus on and then partner with other people like yourselves to exactly. do and the I- other... I think, I think that's why we had a, an interesting kind of first discussion together because we'd had that similar background. My yeah. own agency experience involving three months at a full service agency before being sacked unceremoniously. So uh, when I wanted to go off and start my own, I knew I needed to be specialist. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, I do think there is a bit of a myth around trying to find that magic agency that can do all things. I think you can find them out there, but they, they definitely like, exist hen's teeth um, and it tends to be very expensive and uh, the attraction from a client point of view is that there's a single point of contact which yep. is naturally a big benefit um, however trying to expect one agency to have people that are talented in all these different plethora of different specialisms is it's quite hard to find absolutely and i think it's fair to say even when a full service agency does do a good job in all areas there will always be something they're really good at and, yeah. they, and they will tend to, and it will, what they tend to do is have a, an industry specialism, and there may not be one that you can find locally that suits your industry as well. Exactly, exactly. And I think from a client point of view, it's important, the benefit that you have from having multiple specialists coming to the table is you have different angles and different perspectives and different mm-hmm. views. Um, so provided it's managed in the right way, you can get much more from that 
having different perspectives rather than more want a singular kind of perspective of what's going on and what's right for the client or the solution that's being built. Absolutely. Um, so I guess I wanted to kick off by saying, so let's say you're planning a new website project for your for your company, it might be B2B, it might be B2C, it's sort of irrelevant at, at this stage, I guess, but do you, how do you think, in most cases, you should structure the team that delivers a project like that? And I think we should think both internally, externally, the balance between agency and contractor or, or permanent staff. Mm-hmm. So it depends what resources you have internally, but I think there should be somebody that is, you know, the flag bearer, that person that leads the whole team, that centralized person. That tends to be some kind of digital marketing manager role, that person who's in there that's knows the brand the audience the product better than anybody else out there and really their job is to kind of build a team of the right people to do whatever it is they're looking to achieve i think where it can go wrong is where you've got too many people trying to have control over it so we talk about the idea of um shooting the hippo (laughs) which you might have heard which is the highest paid person's opinion Mm -hmm. i think often you can get kind of senior um people within the organization that you know, oh, well, I like this colour or I think this. And from our perspective, that can really hold things back because it's not actually, a website isn't built for the owner of a business. The website isn't built for the designer or the developer that do it. It's built for the users. So it's trying to make sure that we're not taking our own biases and we're looking at it from a user perspective. Um, So I'd say that you need that lead figure that has the greatest understanding of who that organization is, um, what they offer, and the audience that they are trying to go after and what they wish to communicate to that audience and have that person then build a team of specialists around that. And that's obviously going to require you know, development skills, and design skills. Um, tracking is another core thing, I think, one of the things that often gets really Completely. forgotten. Well, I know that's a frustration that you and I have both spoken yeah. about in the past, that it sometimes feels like developers or, or the marketers get involved too late in the day yeah. to really be able to have the impact that they need to, whether that's on the plan or, or even at the budgetary stage or, or the brief writing stage. Yes. Um, and I'm going to come on to that in a second in terms of the, 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 the brief elements. But certainly it's an experience we've had with the, with the hippos that you mentioned that uh, it tends to be that the higher up the organization you go, the more uh, a person tends to be swayed purely by the creative rather than necessarily the, the detail of how to deliver it. I mean, just the, the realities of, of being further up the food chain, I mean, you don't have the time to, to worry about those things. You would assume that the digital marketing manager is sorting that out for you. Yeah. Uh, and you're being signed off, you're being asked to sign off on which creative route you prefer, or at least that's sometimes how it feels with an organization. Um, and I guess, I mean, have you got any examples of, of situations where it turns out that, um, you know, a design agency has been appointed or uh, a designer has begun the project, but, you know, it turned out development and and marketing weren't involved until later on? Um, Yeah, I think sometimes it's also, because we're dealing with people here, sometimes people have a close affinity or relationship with a design agency, so they naturally gravitate to, you know, who they know and things that are familiar to them. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, there are instances whereby, you know, um, we've been pulled in um, to situations whereby it's pretty much the site's there or, or just launched or it's been launched and it's gone wrong which is the classic problem, really. Yes. It's, it's kind of coming to the table way too late. Um, but I think that's, 
that's where it starts with really the person needs to get a really crystallized understanding of right what do we want to do and why are we let's say rebuilding a website why are we doing that what are we looking to achieve and then starting to think well who are the key people that i'm going to need to do that and yes one's going to be a designer but you've also got the development arm and you've also got the marketing arm of okay well how are we going to market this and how what do we want to communicate sure so i think really you need to get all those people in the table right from kickoff completely and that will help frame you know who you need to have with you it's also one of the downsides i think to uh, traditional itt processes that sort of thing where it effectively leads a, a customer towards a more full service agency but if you're not able to complete an entire you know tender process and deliver all the, the the features they've asked for then you tend not to be able to, to win the overall project so as a specialist agency i guess you're you're less likely to be involved to ask to tender for a project in a, in a planning stage and you tend to be more of an afterthought yeah i'd say this is probably the biggest failure that we see in in kind of web builds is people think right we've got to build a website and we want it to look like this and we want it to do this they go away and then build the site and then say Right, let's market this website. So the challenge there is the fact that um, when we get, we're, we're more of an afterthought, if you like. So the site has already been built. They've crossed the line. I mean, I know as well as anybody else how difficult it is to go through a development process. It's not the easiest challenge. Um, but to then at the end say, right, let's get a marketing agency to now give us the thoughts on how they're going to promote that. And then somebody like Footprint comes in and says, well, why have you built it this way? Where are the landing pages for these particular areas that, are areas that your uh, customers are interested in? Or this particular way that you've developed and, and, and platform that you've chosen isn't really good from a search perspective because it's unable Completely. to be indexed. Yeah. And that is not a nice situation to be with because the development agencies feel like they're being critiqued. They, um, the actual client themselves think that, hang on, shouldn't they have known this? And so we come to the, t- and it's, it's very inefficient as well. And Completely. it means that you've got to spend extra money and go back to backwards rather than moving forwards. Certainly, I, I've been in situations, I think, where uh, the clients have pointed a full service or at least claiming to be full service agency. The experience of the build has left them by the end of the, the process wanting to sack the original agency and then looking for another one. And it's, it's so tricky, I think, to, to work out who it is that you, you want to, to appoint at the beginning of a process. And I, I guess my point is always try and think of the person you're appointing to build a, a website or to, to manage the build of your website, including the marketing planning elements, on the basis of who you're going to be dealing with for the next three to four years of the lifetime of this website, which probably isn't going to be the people who drew you the pictures initially. It's going to be the people who manage the, the maintenance, manage the extension of, of functionality, who manage the marketing and analytics and tracking. And it's those are the people that you will spend more time with over the lifetime of it. Yes, in the initial project, you're going to involve creatives a lot more. Mm. Um, but if they do their job really well, then t- that tends to set the tempo and set the style for the website for its lifetime. Yes. And I think, yeah, I think the point you're making there as well is the, is the longevity of this relationship. I think sometimes people can see websites as a bit of a commodity. Mm. It's a bit of, oh, I've got, a, I've got to rebuild the websites on my, my to-do list and just see it as a, right, once that's done, I can move on to the next thing. And that's certainly not a healthy way to approach things. I think it's about, you know, try, that's the first iteration of what, you're, what you then need to evolve. Mm-hmm. Nobody, no matter who the design or um, development agency or who it's involved, can get it 100% bang on at yep. the beginning. That's just 
impossible. They can get it at a great point, but it's about evolving that over the time. Um, so is, is there anything from that experience or that um, mindset that you would say you would advise uh, that a customer changes how they write a brief for a web project or how they disseminate a brief for a web project? Yeah, I think that's ultimately where it goes wrong, um, <laughs> is the fact that, I mean, even today I've been speaking um, with somebody um, and, you know, it's like, oh, this is the first time I've ever been involved in a web project. And it's, it almost is like, at times, businesses will appoint, you know, just somebody that doesn't have very much experience to just do this because it's just a getting the website done. Completely, um, yeah. And it's that whole kind of prepare to fail, fail to prepare, that kind of um, analogy. You need to have a real good, clear understanding of why you're doing what you're doing, why you're rebuilding the website, who that's for, what their needs are going to be and what you want them to do mm. on the site and getting absolute clarity at the beginning. Because my experience working on many different web build projects is... It's a really challenging thing, cause, and it's an education problem, I think. Clients don't know how to fully brief it to a degree that is enough, mm -hmm. and they often discover what they need during the process, Yes, which obviously from a development perspective is a nightmare because you've signed off the scope as XYZ. So that makes it more complicated, messes timelines and things like that. So I think Completely. the more investment that can be done around um, you know, initial workshops to really... I'd, I'd actually recommend if somebody was to, to go and get a website is to actually go and try and work with them, employ them for like a half-day session where you get in a room, work together, and try and build a picture of, of what it should be and work in that together. Because I think that's a useful exercise, not in just preparing to, and getting clarity of what you want and what you need, but also you get to learn how you work with these people Completely. and how creative they are and how they kind of make you think mm. in different ways. And that's where you're going to find who's right for you. Yeah. Um, and you want somebody that can kind of inspire, make you think different, maybe even pull you up on a few things um, and question why you're doing things, because that's the person that you want on this longer journey that we're talking about. Um, Absolutely. And that's what I'd do in terms of if I was to kind of select an agency. I think, I think it is tricky because there's a tendency uh, to be overly prescriptive in a brief in terms of what you're after and yet to simultaneously make vast emissions uh, and then to set a fixed budget and to say well I'm looking for a supplier to deliver me this and it's, it's almost guaranteeing that it's not going to go well yeah. uh, because someone, someone somewhere will go yeah we'll do that and then later they push back and, and, uh, and say actually no it can't be done in that budget or yeah. you realise now you need to bring in the marketing team um, and the kind of competitive element of it almost forces an agency to give bad advice at the, at the beginning and, and sort of in most instances, you want to say to a client, you probably want to rewrite this brief and reissue it, but your timeline now doesn't work and you're going to miss your deadlines. Yeah, and that's, that's again, an education, not, not really knowing the complexities involved yeah. and the way that, you know, things that they fail to do, let's say deliver on time or, or either party, is going to have a knock-on consequence. You know, you can't just kind of say oh, I just had an idea. We should introduce this massive section to the website and expect to have that within the existing time frame and budget. Mm -hmm. So again, that's knowledge of how, com how complex is it to build a website or certain functionality. And it's a challenge. It is, you know, I sympathise with the, the clients because they don't really get the full extent of what's required for, for each of these things. But also for the development agency, it makes it very challenging. 
So how do you think it, it should work now in a, like, let's say you're, you're happy to appoint specialist agencies and you're going to put a team together to do it. In a, an agency culture where people are increasingly moving towards a, an upfront paid consultancy phase, mm-hmm. do you think there's a way you should structure that as a brief or structure the appointment of those, those agencies? I mean, should you expect to do that process with a couple of different agencies for each element? Is that a downside of going specialist? Um, I don't know. I think, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I think, you know, you could. It's, it's a matter of luck as well. Mm. I mean, you can find a great agency, and I, I think it's go out there and meet a number of different agencies and get the feel for yeah. them first. Because um, I said at the end of the day, it all boils down to the people that you're working with. Absolutely. So they can be the greatest. And, and hope, hopefully getting to, getting to meet people who will both be involved in account management as well as the new business element. I mean, it, just, just dealing with the, the, the sales guy isn't going to be who you're with after that, that point. No, exactly. And it's meeting sure that the that wider team yeah. and things like that. So I'd generally say go out there and kind of reach out to a few different agencies, go and meet them and mm-hmm. see what they're like, and then probably select a number of them to do a session whereby, you know, it might be a few hours, just a brainstorming session, workshops to get a feel of... Because mm-hmm. you're achieving two things in there, like I said earlier. You're, you're kind of getting to know more about what you need and what the requirements are going to be and how you need to kind of brief it, if you like. Um, but you're also getting to know the, the human beings that you're dealing with. Completely. Um, and, I, and I think if you were to go through that process, you would end up with, with a couple of things. But you would end up with a much stronger brief as a result yes. that got you far closer to the agency you really need to work with. You'd have a really good understanding of whether the people you'd spoken to were the right ones for that brief mm-hmm. uh, because you'd, you'd have met them in person. But also I think hopefully you'd have a better understanding of what the actual lifetime cost of, of the website is going to be to you rather than just what's the upfront cost. Because I think that's a, a failing that happens quite often is going, well, that's my budget for the website for the year and then realising that that's not what you're going to spend over the course of that year. Yeah, and I think, you know, budgets are obviously an ultimate factor, determining factor, right? Um, So you can work with uh, an agency and start to build a picture of what the final thing might look like, but that doesn't mean that it's going to launch like that. Mm -hmm. So you can work with them to kind of prioritise the rollout and the phases of what is kind of must-have, should-have, could-have, won't-have kind of thing. We call that Moscow kind of routine. Um, To drill down is what is the the initial first minimal vial product, if you like, right through to well, in the future, which how will we roll out other features and functionality and, and things. And then that means that you can manage budget to a degree yes. and build as you grow. Um, you don't need to have the complete thing right from the, from, from the word go. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit like, um, it's a more of an agile kind of approach to developing a product or something like that, a website as well. Um, it's trying not to get it 100% perfect right Completely. from the very beginning. And that's, that's part of the challenge with web builds. It's changing it's a mindset. A functional spec is the initial thing, but you need to kind of go through the process to really discover the entirety of what's required at the end of it. Absolutely. I mean, a digital project is a very different beast to a standard project that you might have experienced elsewhere in the world it's, it's different to you know building a, a house or anything like that there are, there are there are different elements to it it's important to think of a website not as a as a discrete one-off project and i think that's possibly something that's been inherited from websites growing out of traditional marketing companies or branding companies and you know you approach a branding project and it is a discrete well let's do a research piece a you know a, a design piece let's let's do some testing let's produce a brand book it's rolled out the brand is now done and, t- and it may evolve a little bit but that is 
done as a project. Mm. And digital is such a different beast to it. And, and thinking of it as a as a discrete block is is fundamentally just not going to work in the same way. And I think that's why full service agencies that grew out of that traditional waterfall project model um, struggle more when it comes to digital projects. Not so much with the design processes, because those still, by and large, follow the traditional you know, project processes. Um, but with the development and marketing process, they're so iterative, they're, they, they have to be considered as an ongoing uh, investment. Um, that it, I think it comes as a surprise to people when it, it doesn't work the same way. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think it, it's, like I was saying earlier, it feels like a website is almost like a commodity. It's like a checkbox, right, we've done that, let's move on. And I always think that, you know, once you go live with your site, that, you know, that's the first step, that's the first iteration. That should not be the end of it. Mm. That's the beginning of the journey, right? Um, and I think really what you should be doing is using data to learn more about how your audience is now using it. Is it as you expected? Is it different? And it's going to be different in different ways. And taking learnings from the data and then evolving the platform as you go. Um, so I think a relationship that um, I've experienced with client development agencies is, okay, they build the site, they launch the site, and then there's some kind of maintenance um, solution there. Um, which is cool because that means it's hosted by them. They make sure that it's secure, that if anything goes wrong, we might change some pictures and things like that. But that's maintenance. That's not evolution. And that's what I think it should be, that when you launch the site, it should go continually evolving and learning from, from how people are using the site and improving it. Um, Absolutely, you can't get it right. And I, 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 it's a, it's a, there's no hard and fast rule for it. I mean, a, a, you know, if you have a traditional e-commerce product-based website, you're unlikely to evolve it, particularly, you know, significantly over time, unless you you diversify in how you deliver those products in some way. Um, but if you are, especially if your website is the product, if it is a, a software as a service model, then if you're not investing continually in it. Uh, then you, 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 it's impossible to grow longer term and, and you, you will see drop off. But I think what's interesting about your point about data is that, yes, absolutely, some of it has to come from how are the, the users interacting with the site, what's working, what isn't. Um, the other thing I think that's so often missed is, well, what is the ROI of that particular feature? Am I, buying, am I going to invest in that feature uh, because I want it, because the users want it, because it's actually going to make me any more money? Um, is it because your competition's got it? So there's so, and what's what's also funny is a lot of the time as a development agency, uh, the designer will be appointed to uh, to design you a new feature, and then the developers are asked how much it will cost to, to build that, and then you then you go back to square one because it's more than you thought. Yeah, uh, and I think I don't know. The data should inform the website should be there to help develop your understanding of your audience. Mm. Okay, so you launch a site and you you create it in a manner that you think it's going to fulfill the needs of your audience and you know engage them but you know you need to use the data to really learn well actually is what we originally thought really giving the value or being used in the way that we expected um, and use that to inform you know the future development and evolution of the uh, the site as a platform i think you're right in terms of allocating budget ongoing it depends on you know how much value your um, your website contributes to the bottom line essentially yeah. um, and it's data that's going to tell you okay if I invest this much how much do I get from it yeah um, and that's one of the biggest problems that we find 
uh, we in in websites that we come up against and their kind of analytics and tracking. Like ninety nine to one hundred percent of um, uh, websites have Google Analytics tracking on, right? You'd Which hope. is great. You'd okay, hope. you'd hope, and that's a great thing. But we researched one hundred and fifty individual business Google Analytics accounts, and we found some interesting things, which was that 95, uh, no, 85% of all of those businesses weren't tracking meaningful outcomes in Google Analytics. They just had the vanilla data. So no goals set up, so no, no goals, no events or anything like that, which, you know, Google Such Analytics, a missed opportunity. Massively so. I mean, it keeps me awake at night. It's that bad. <laughs> It's because there's so much that Google Analytics can can tell you, can tell you a million different things, where they came from, how long they spent there, blah, blah, blah. But what Google Analytics can't tell you straight out the bat is, well, how many people converted or downloaded a brochure or did some kind of What was their journey to get there? Exactly. And ultimately, that's what you need. Uh, you need a measurement framework and a tracking um, setup that tells you how people are using that website, yeah. not just where they're coming from and how long they spend on there. Because... Traffic is one of those old school vanity things. Yes, it's a KPI that we can use to measure. Are more people coming to our site? Yes or no. Good, bad. But it doesn't tell you whether they actually converted or whether they, you know, did what you want them to do. Um, and there's that old kind of um, example of what if I told you that I could give you a million visitors to your website today, none of which converted, or one visitor that actually converted, which would you choose? In the instance of most people who don't load test their websites or build scaling ability into them, I would say I definitely like the, the user that converted, please. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. And I think, you know, that's the reality of our research. 85% of people don't have clarity of, um, you know, how people and what people are doing on their site yeah. and how that influences their business. The other scary stat on that was that 95% of those 150 accounts that we analysed had a configuration that was such that it would potentially jeopardize the accuracy of the data. Really? Yeah. What was the biggest failing? So a lot of it was like things like spam data mm -hmm. and not tracking things. We had sites on there that weren't tracking. They didn't have um, tracking on various different pages yeah. on their sites. Through not to filtering out spamming results. Yeah, yeah, so especially and the um, spam one is, you know, if you're Amazon, it's kind of like a drop in the ocean, this spam traffic. But if you're a small B2B business with, you know, yeah, a few it can hundred, flood. It can give you wildly destroys. misleading results, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, and the other thing is just people not really knowing how to use the data and going off metrics that they've heard of, things like bounce rate. Uh, we can have a whole conversation about that if you want, but it's one of my you know um, soapbox ones is terms of people obsessing over bounce rate. Um, but you've got to look at well, if you're not context. actually tracking what happens on a page, then it could be absolutely no. fine. No, if somebody comes straight to my um, contact form and gets in touch. That's 100%. Yeah. Or arrives on your website right. and reads Is the phone number happens? off the header. Exactly. So that it's you need you need to be you need to look at it in context, I think. Um, and yeah, tracking is one of the things that often gets overlooked. And I think uh, going into a the you know, looking at the longer term life of a of a website, there's always going to be a, a question later on down the line, could be 2 years, 3 years, 4 years. What am I going to do with it now? Am I yeah, am I rebuilding am I upgrading? Um, and I know one of the big topics you guys deal a lot with is, is migration. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there's sort of two sides to the coin. One is, there's nearly always two options. One is you start from scratch in some way, building your new site. And that often happens when an organization, I don't know, has been through a merger, an acquisition yeah. activity, or the strategy or positioning has changed in some way, or the marketing manager's changed, well, and that's, that's enough to change the overall direction yeah. or, or, you know, or look and feel of the website uh, and content. Uh, to, to an extent that they feel a, a whole website, new website is necessary. A lot of the time it's not strictly necessary, but sometimes it might be more cost efficient to, to go for a, for a new, you know, and, and people just like to, to change things anyway. Um, it, is, it is worth factoring into your decision making when you appoint a web agency is, well, what's the likely lifely, uh, lifetime of this platform? And uh, fortunately, it's getting much easier to, you know, to, to account for that and to, to upgrade things going from you know, different WordPress versions is, is pretty straightforward. I mean, even some of the later WordPress 4 to WordPress 5 stuff was, was pretty straightforward. Um, the, the biggest one we're dealing with at the moment is Drupal 7 to Drupal 8 upgrades. Mm -hmm. Drupal 7's reaching end of life uh, November next year. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, current best practices get a move on with upgrading your sites. And it's a significant investment yeah. uh, to the extent that you, you, might, you, know, you might want to consider, do you, do you start from scratch? Um, but a lot of the time we do encourage people to do so because it makes the migration of content and the, re the retention of that SEO you know, reputation so much easier. Uh, but do you want to talk a little bit about when, when you don't get that option and it is a new project? Yeah, I think, I mean, whether you stick with a platform or not is, you know, it depends what, you, what direction you're going with, um, how, how familiar, also people get familiar with platforms and yes. therefore, you know, managing it becomes more second nature so they want to keep with that thing familiar. Um, or, but or, they're, or they're driven by, I don't know, IT security policies that say yes. no WordPress must, has to be Drupal or, yeah. or I don't, WordPress I don't, is out want, because it's I don't want PHP, I want .NET. Yeah, and sometimes those decisions get made for the wrong reasons. Um, but I think ultimately, from our perspective, there's generally always some kind of change. And, you know, whether it's a reskin of a website or it changes platform or stays on the new platform, but certain things like URL structure and things like that change, um, they're all sensitive times from a search perspective. Um, and I think that's, in our experience, that's what gets forgotten. People are, you know, they might look back at their old site and think, oh, it's terrible, it's not friendly, mobile friendly, you can't do this in the back end, it's really slow, it's whatever. They yep. just don't like it. So they tend to um, look forward and think of this new magic shiny thing that's going to come out and change their lives and make life so much easier. Um, and the problem is, is they don't consider the actual history, no matter how battered it is, uh, or how terrible it is, it still has it's authority an asset, yeah. and history and it's got you know, exposure and visibility in areas mm. such as search, so Google. And they forget about that. And then what happens is they just launch a brand new website and all of a sudden that messes up their search visibility because they have failed to consider or yeah. how do we transition from our old site to the new version. Or worse still, they, they then also lose all the event tracking and goal tracking. That oh, yeah, up. exactly. Um, that's another one. All tracking all together. Um, but yeah, the way that I describe it is almost like if you had a rose bush in the back of your garden, and even if it was a battered old thing and, you know, um, looked a bit sorry in your moving house, um, you wouldn't just kind of grab it by the, the stem and rip it out and then just plunk it in because you, you rip out all the roots. And that's the way it is, really. What they're not looking at is the roots and the yeah. history. The and tendrils of the uh, of the exactly. site across the internet. 
So what tends to happen is like, oh, let's just pick that and then do that. And expecting Google to magically work it out, and it doesn't because Google comes along and looks for the page it used to find on your site, and then it's gone. And you, not just from a search perspective, also from a user perspective. A user might bookmark the site or have gone back there, doesn't work. Or links from referral sites then link through and you lose that traffic. So it's a very sensitive time um, from an SEO point of view when a site moves from whatever platform it is, especially if URL structure is going to change. But even if URLs stay exactly the same, some people also make decisions in terms of, right, we've got a bit too much content on these pages. Let's go a bit more Apple. And they decide to have a big clear out and go minimalist, less is more. And then you get a ton of 404 errors. Uh, well, no, the page might still be there. Oh, I see, but, but just the missing the content. Yeah. So Google will come and crawl that page and go, hang on, where's, where's the rest of this content? This was really useful content. That's yeah. why I used to rank it. Hmm. Not sure about Penalized. it. Mm. So then all of a sudden your rankings change. Um, so there's quite a few things. Uh, the worst one that I've had um, that I can remember, is, and I've seen this a few times, but one springs to mind is a client that decided, one of the senior management team decided, look, we've got this blog and nobody's posted on it for two years. It makes us look bad. Let's just get rid of our, the mm-hmm. whole blog section because it looks bad for people coming to our site. Um, but what they didn't realise is that you know they had about 200 300 different pieces of really good solid content some of these were generating like 5000 visits yep. a week that's a shame right and they decided to make the well we'll have a bit of a spring clean let's just get rid of that content mm. and the thing is although it's blog content but which by nature it's informational query so people come in they digest the content and they leave um, although they didn't have a high conversion rate, it, that's what helps hold the rest of the site and the more service-level pages up in higher accolade within search. So they pruned that. Not only did they lose 95% of their traffic overnight, the rest of the queries that they were ranking for for, for kind of commercial terms, they also fell yeah. as well, just because somebody made a bad decision. Um, Do you ever get the, the real kind of perfect storm combination of URL structure change, content change, content m- missing, and domain change. Yeah, and the, and add in the other one as well. They launch and they've forgotten to take uh, the robots text file off. Yeah, that's, which is essentially that telling a search engine, mm-hmm. right? You're not allowed to come in here. You're not allowed to see. There's nothing to see here. Um, which, which means is, it's, it's why my, my preference is always putting uh, other means of protecting a site during development on it than a, other than a robots because it's just less likely to get forgotten. Yeah. If you've got a big password form over it to view it, well, you can't it. forget you, that. You can use like HD access password and things to just stop people and search engines if yeah, they don't completely. have a password. But you know that's that's part of where we kind of come to the table is is to kind of help in that transition period because as exciting as this new site is and go, is going to be you do need to learn f- from the old site and ensure that you yeah. pass over and transition as much I mean, and, as And that's what's, what's really great about working with you guys as a, as a partner is you know, the work you do with development agencies to ensure that they understand the impact that the technical decisions they're making or that the client is requesting. Mm-hmm. Make sure you understand the impact of that and mitigate for it. Um, but... What do, you, what do you tend to find are the, the biggest issues with development agencies? or do you, do you think development agencies are guilty of not sharing this information with clients or not knowing this no, information? I, no, not at all. And, uh, you know, I feel for, for, for kind of developers and um, web agencies that... Because, again, it's an education thing from the client perspective. Yeah. Because somebody's technical, they know all this stuff. 
So it's the classic There's case definitely of, an assumption of, they'll know how Yeah, yeah of course, works. you're technical, you, you know how and to And my printer websites. needs you, work as well. Exactly. So the way that I describe it, or described it earlier, was like, you know, just because I, fr- I speak French, it doesn't mean I can speak Japanese and Chinese and all the other languages in there. Um, just because somebody's technical by nature yeah. and can build websites doesn't know that they get the intricacies yeah. of search. You, you've got a couple so, of, of words of overlap with Farsi, but that's about it if you speak <laughs> French. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so I think you know there, that is the problem. I think there's assumption on um, the client, and sometimes that oh, they must know all this stuff. And the reality is that's not the roles and responsibilities from a web agency, a web development agency. Um, not traditionally, anyway. It's kind of right. We want a website. We want it to look like this and function this way, and built on this platform and etc. They're not thinking about well, what happens if they make a bad decision and remove content. They're generally following well, at least, instruction at least it's, it's very, you know, It's very variable, the level of understanding or, or you know, commitment to working that out. Yeah, yeah and uh, I think that's where we come in as well because a lot of the work that we do as well is, is doing research onto understanding how well the old site performed and doing data analysis to find which pages really engaged well from just general visitors which pages rank really well, and it's kind of protecting certain areas and showing, look, don't think of getting rid of these. We're using data and research to inform which pages you should have on your site as well. The other thing that we can do is obviously research into the big gaps that people tend to have. So one common thing is we'll have a service page that has all our services on it, and expect that to rank for all those individual services. Well, it's not going to quite work You need a page with a few hundred words of content on it for it to be... Yeah, and, uh, yeah. at least, I mean, if there's a, a hundred thousand, a million other web results that are dedicated to a particular to- topic, yeah. and then you've got a, a page that has a million, uh, 20 different topics all on the same mm-hmm. page, well, Google's going to know which one's going to be more relevant to someone's specific query. Um, so I think through things like using Google tools to understand search trends, what people are searching for, to help influence which pages should you have on your site and how should you develop an ongoing content strategy to answer questions and engage your audience, that's where we can kind of come in to kind of help and say, look, I know you guys are thinking about having these pages, but our research shows that users are going to come in and land and and be interested in these areas. So maybe we should factor that into the sitemap um, and create contents uh, on new site, but also a content strategy that is ongoing that feeds into it as well. Um, And we've done a lot of work recently with that that is just kind of, again, if it had come just straight from the client and the development point of view, that it would have been been looked in, in, in that way. Thanks for watching part one. See you in part two. Thanks for joining. Remember to subscribe and follow us and to share today's insights with other businesses you know who want to stay relevant in a digital first world.